Good to see everybody, of course. Um, it is so sad that we're not going to be able to hear Robert's cool voice on the recording for the, uh, the verse memorization today, but he will have an opportunity next week, next week. So let me give you kind of an update on, uh, on kind of where we're going right here. So I've been praying about what to do for Sunday school, and I know we spent, I believe, 37 weeks studying Psalm 119, and uh, I hope it was beneficial to you as it was to me. And uh, I know probably one of the biggest things out of Psalm 119, I know it's about the Word of God. I know that, um, that that's the theme of Psalm 119, but the thing that stood out to me is how many, how many things in Psalm 119 I found to, be, to turn into prayers of my own. And uh, that was a real blessing to me personally and individually. Good to see Moses. Been on his long trip. Good to see you. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, what we're going to do now is I've been praying about it and had a few different directions I was thinking about. But what, I, what, I, what, what I've decided to do, what I think the Lord would have us to do, is to begin a study in the book of Proverbs, not a verse-by-verse study of Proverbs, although that would be good, but to begin a study in the book of Proverbs on uh, what... Kind of like what we did in Psalm 119 at the beginning. You remember we, when we first started Psalm 119 before we went into the, the, the all 22 sections and looked at those individually? We did a major themes study when we covered all of the psalm, uh, all of the, that psalm, and we looked at what stood out. Well, that's what I'd like to do in Proverbs because uh, there's a lot of things in Proverbs, a lot of good, of course, good material in Proverbs, good practical things, and the practical things are, are kind of the things that have kind of been on my mind and heart a good bit, um, practical wisdom. And so uh, many things in Proverbs are kind of, the, kind of like repeated, uh, major things that are, are mentioned over and over and over in different ways and different contexts and such. So what we're going to do is I, I've, just, I've made a list of the major themes in Proverbs, and that list will probably expand, but I want to call it uh, basically, Proverbs, uh, tools for life. Uh, because there are so many things in the book of Proverbs that are uh, very practical. But here's the thing. Just because they're practical doesn't mean they're not doctrinal. In fact, you find these same, same things all over the rest of the Bible, as we'll see. But, uh, but they're all, I call them tools for life because... They are they're so practical and it gives us such sound wisdom that it's very easy to take it and put it right into to, to our decisions and, and the way we live and what we do and don't do and those kinds of things. So, so that's kind of what I want to do is, is basically a major theme study of Proverbs called Tools for Life. And so, um, so we're going we're gonna to head in that direction. So if you would, turn to Proverbs and... Uh, I have no idea how long it'll take us to get through these things. Uh, we will not cover one major theme a week, though. I can tell you that. There's just too much. But we'll cover, uh, we'll cover them one at a time, and uh, we'll, we'll try to be methodical but not boring if we can help it, if I can help it. Um, so, <coughs> excuse me. What we'll do is uh, we will read what is our first major theme, in the book of Proverbs, and then I'll pray, and then we'll get into our, our subject here. All right, Proverbs chapter 1, chapter 1. 
make sure. Proverbs 1, let's look at verse 7. Proverbs 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. All right, look at chapter 9. Look at chapter 9. Verse number 10. Chapter 9, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Now, Proverbs is, of course, a book about wisdom. There is a great deal about wisdom, not, not just obviously wisdom itself, but also different ways to apply wisdom in different situations, be it your marriage, your mouth, your work, your, you know, your finance. I mean, just it's everywhere. Proverbs is a book about wisdom, but when you get into Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7, from the very start, from the very start, almost from the very moment that wisdom is mentioned in verse number 2, but immediately after that, the Lord brings out the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. So let's pray, and then we'll, we'll begin our study. Our Lord, thank you so much. Thank you for each person that's here. And for those that can't be with us but are listening, thank you for them also. Thank you for the wisdom you've given to us in your word. Thank you for each and every person here who, whose heart and attention you have. Lord, we pray. I pray for them. I pray that you would help them today, this morning, uh, in our Sunday school class and in our morning service. I pray for your blessing upon them and you would help their heart to be open and receptive to your word. And Lord, I also pray for those in other Sunday school classes that are listening to the word as well. I pray that you would help those classes to grow. I pray that you'd help the individuals in the classes to grow spiritually also. Lord, you know what we need. You know the practical help that we need, the doctrinal truth we need to be reminded of. Lord, we pray that you would really meet with us today. And Lord, as we approach the 50th anniversary in that meeting, we pray for that meeting. Lord, that it would not just be another meeting, but that you would really meet with us and you would stir us up and that you would revive us. Please give the preacher wisdom to know what to say, but help us as well to prepare our hearts that we would come prepared. We would come ready to hear. Lord, help me to help your people today if, if you would be pleased to do so. Bless our time together, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, Proverbs, as soon as you get into Proverbs, almost immediately you have, you're confronted, of course, with wisdom. But in verse 7, there's an interesting Thing. Verse 7 says that before you can have wisdom, you have to have the fear of the Lord. So Proverbs is obviously a book about wisdom, but from the gate, the Lord tells us that before you can have wisdom, you have to have the fear of God. Some might say, well, how am I supposed to fear God if I don't have wisdom? 
In other words, wisdom, we think sometimes, is the most important thing, but it's not. It's not. The foundation of wisdom is the fear of God. In fact, in verse 7 it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It is the first step. It is knowledge and wisdom 101. Lesson 1, fear God. Fear God. But that brings up an interesting point. Let me, let me pause here because I want, to, uh, I want to make something clear about our memorization. Um, as we go through the book of Proverbs in our study, Tools for Life, I want, you, uh, I, I'm, I want to give you an opportunity to carry on the memorization that we've been doing in Psalm 119. And by that I mean, what I'd like to do is, because we're going to cover, for each theme study, we're going to cover so many verses in Proverbs, because there's so many, We'll be looking at a lot of verses in Proverbs, but also in other passages as well. What I'd like to do is we'll do the verse memorization like this. Whatever I cover, like for instance, in this week on the 20th of August, I cover, we cover whatever verses we look at in, in, on today. You can use those, from those you can choose a verse to memorize for next week. Does that make sense? Now, if, there, if, if there's a week that, co- that comes and goes and I don't, maybe I only go over a couple of verses or whatever, then you can maybe do another one that we previously, previously studied or you could do, you can memorize one that maybe uh, we haven't studied out of Proverbs. But if you could, as, as we try to focus our minds on what the major themes are studying, I want the memorization to be a part of our class. In other words, so that these things kind of percolate into our mind and heart and become part, part of our thinking, something we're thinking and um, meditating upon. You know, b- being able to quote a verse just so that you can stand up and quote a verse, is not, there's not a whole lot of profit in that. That's not the point at all, at all. The purpose of memorizing the verse is so that you're thinking about the verse and it becomes a part of your mind and part of your heart, even if, as some have lamented, you have trouble memorizing it. The the, the goal is not just being able to say it. That's a, that's a benefit. And, of course, you sometimes get a, a treat as a result. But, uh, but the goal is to have it in your heart so that it's, it's there. So if you would do that, select verses that we have looked at, either in Proverbs or other things, in our lesson from the previous week, and then use that as your verse memorization. Now, I'll just, I'll just say this one thing, and I, I'm, I'm not trying, I, I definitely am not trying to be unkind, but I just want to encourage you. When we first started our memorization in Proverbs some almost a year ago, <laughs> in Psalms, I'm sorry, Psalm 119, it started with many, many people memorizing verses, and then it dwindled. Over a period of, over a period of like eight or nine months, it dwindled where fewer and fewer people were memorizing the verses. I just, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not here to get on your case. I just want to encourage you to take the time and put forth the effort and the zeal for the Lord and for His truth to just attempt it. And try to maintain that as we go through. Because every new verse we come across is a new, is a new truth, a new, uh, a new opportunity to learn and uh, to be helped. So I know how things go, and that's human nature. I, I'm like that too. We... We start out strong, we start out the race sprinting, and then it gets harder and we get busy and then we miss a, day, a week or two and then it's, you know, 
don't fall off the apple cart. Let's try to keep up with it. And uh, I'm going to empty my hat, my marine hat, and I'm going to start anew with that. Ben, that's, that's for Ben, statistics. So I just want to encourage you to take part in it because I really, really desire it to, to help you, okay? And again, if you don't want to say the verse in front of everyone, that's fine. You can just say it to me uh, privately, and that's, that's perfectly fine as well, okay? All right, going back to the fear of the Lord. I thought it fitting that we talk about the fear of the Lord first because the fear of the Lord is first, right? In the major themes, you can't have wisdom. The whole book's about wisdom. You can't have wisdom until you have the fear of the Lord. But immediately, the first thing that comes to my mind is, what is the fear of the Lord? Now, it's not God's fear, like God is afraid. No, that's not what it's referring to, our fear, okay? What is the fear of the Lord? Somebody... Somebody give me a definition maybe you've heard or something you've kind of understood to be the fear of the Lord. Does anybody want to venture out on that? Because it's not, it's not very easy to define. It's not, it's not as simple to define as maybe some other things. Anybody? Yes, sir. That's right. In fact, I read something like that this morning, something that overlapped that a good bit. All right? Yes, sir? Viewing God as who he is. Okay. Viewing God as who he is. That's interesting. Yep. Okay. God is overall. He is the judge of all. He sees all. All right. That's part of it. All right. That's definitely, yes, sir? Okay, and that overlaps with what Miss Karen said, definitely, and what Brother Vernon said as well. All right, anybody else want to take a shot? Yes, ma'am. All right, that's good. Anyone else? Is that a hand or is that like, no, no, no. Frozen in fear. Fear of the Lord. Now, I want to read you a few definitions. I'm sorry, yeah, that's, just, that's just my way. But it, helped, it helps me and hopefully it'll help you. We do need a good definition of the fear of the Lord. It's, it's a lot of these things you've said kind of mixed together, but I like the idea. Here's the thing about the fear of God. When you read the verses, here's what you're going to find is the fear of the Lord is not one thing. We know that we know that when you think of fear, you can think of terror, right? Dread of a future event. That's fear, and that's a word that's, that's used in the Bible. It's used in that way. In fact, sometimes the word, there are, I'll read it in, in a minute, but there's a, the word dread is used in our reference to our relationship to God or the terror of the Lord. You've heard of that. So uh, fear, fear has a lot of facets. You know, it's like a diamond with a lot of facets, different things, you know, you, you know and, and all of them are included. And thing is, thing is, some of the facets and aspects of the fear of the Lord are not comfortable to modern Christianity. 
And I'll explain that in a minute, but, but it's there. It's there, lack it or lump it, it's there. And it has to do with some of the things you said. But here's what, here's what the definition uh, that, I, that I read <clears throat> I thought was good. The fear of the Lord is a mingled feeling of dread and reverence toward God. Mingled, that means mixed, right? A mingled feeling of dread and reverence toward God. In fact, the first Bible ever published in English was the... Come on now. No? What's that? Wycliffe, which is translated from the Latin Vulgate, but it was in English, all right? The Wycliffe Bible, almost in every case, he put the word dread instead of the fear of the Lord in his Bible. Now, that's been, that's in, what, 1399 or something, I think it was. That was a long time ago. But, but one, thing to, one thing I thought was interesting as I was researching this is this. There is a distinction made between what we call servile fear and filial fear. When you talk about servile, servile has to do with something relating to slaves. And filial has to do with something related to a father and a child. Okay, so you can make a distinction between servile fear and filial fear. Okay, let me give you what, what I'm trying to say is servile fear is what we think of as terror. What we think of as it's the way Adam and Eve feared God when they had sinned in the garden. What did they do? They ran away, right? That's the fear of the Lord. That's one aspect. Now, that's, not, that's the one that's not so popular, but it's in the Bible. It's absolutely in there. And there are times when it is absolutely right and proper, <laughs> right? And then there's, of course, filial fear, which is the fear that is proper and suitable and fitting for God when we understand who He is in a, as, in a fatherly context, all right? But I want you to understand that filial fear, that is fear of God in the sense of Him being our Father, is not the only way. See, what people try to do, and I just... I want, I, want to, I want to be honest with you and tell you the truth. And if we're going to, be, if we're going to look at the Bible and be Bible Christians, we've got to take it all, right? All the counts of God. So the fear of the Lord is often described as merely respect. That's it. It's just respect. But it's more than that. It is more than respect. It's used in the Bible to, in ways that indicate it's not just respect. It's not just respect. It's more than that. And it's deeper and it's more profound than that. One, one writer says this. He said, it says, fear is twofold. Servile. Where, now listen to this. This is profound and this will help you. Fear is twofold. Servile, whereby punishment, not fault, is dreaded. And filial, by which fault is feared. Listen, listen to me now. When you have servile fear, which is terror, that is that what comes, what comes, what comes out in relief is you're afraid of God hurting you. Okay? You're afraid of God hurting you. When people do things, when people that don't know the Lord, but they have, a, they have kind of a fear of God, and sometimes they do something, and I've heard people say, you know, they're afraid God would, God would kill them for what they did. 
You know, you see that in the Old Testament. That's servile fear. You're, you're afraid of the punishment. But the other kind of fear primarily doesn't have the punishment in view as much as what you have done. And that's different. That's different. The fault. A word that's often used with the word fear, the fear of the Lord is the word awe, A-W-E, awe. Here's what it means. A feeling of dread or fear mixed with profound reverence, typically as inspired by God or the divine. I'm just reading the, de- the definition. Subsequently, a feeling of reverential respect mixed with wonder or fear. That's what David was talking about. Typically as inspired by a person of great authority and accomplishments. So David talked about we, see, we fear God because we understand who he is. I think Ms. Karen mentioned that as well. In other words, when you think of the various aspects of uh, characteristics of God, you think of God's awesomeness. How many of you have ever been to the Grand Canyon? All right. When you walk up to the rim, you're just like, huh, I'd be bopping up to the rim, chewing your gum. But when you get to the rim and all the sound goes away, right? It gets extremely silent because there's no, no echo. It's, you're, you're struck, you're awestruck. You're, I mean, everybody that first goes up, every person that I've ever heard of that ever walks up to the Grand Canyon, what is the first thing you do? You just stand in silence. It's awesome. That's what the word means, awesome. In other words, the grandeur of what you're seeing, it overwhelms you. Well, see, when we understand that about God as the creator and that, that's why you, you should take some time and you should, you should do a little bit of study about our created universe. That displays the glory of God. Amen. Does not? Psalm 119 says that. Psalm 19, rather. Says the heavens declare the glory of God. So the, when you know more about what God has created, you know more about God. That is when you have a renewed and a, a sanctified worldview, which is what we, you know, we hope to have, Right? We see that. We see what God created. We see the sun and the stars and the plant. We, we, we look through our telescopes or whatever. And what we see is not, wow, look at what the mother... No, we see, wow, look at what God, how great thou art. That's what, how we respond. That's part of the fear of God. That's the basis of the fear of God. It's awe. This is how great God is. Great not in a moral sense, but great is in, in, in the bigness he has power to just do anything he wants with me, right? I mean, one little word, and I would be nothing. I would be just vaporized. I, I would be as if I had never been. That's how mighty and awesome God is. That strikes fear. That, but that, that is fear based upon who God is. Fear based upon who God is. Let's look at a few verses on this. And as I said, we're not going to get very far, but that's okay. All right, let's look at, I have four verses I want to look at, okay? I told you that the fear of the Lord is a mixture of this kind of terror and dread at times and this fatherly kind of fear and reverence and honor and that and then awe and it's there too. And so I want to look at verses that use the, use the word fear in, this, in these various ways. So the first one I want to look at is Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8. Verse number 13. Isaiah 8 verse 13. The Lord speaking to Israel, of course, He says this, 
sanctify the Lord of hosts himself and let him be your fear and let him be your dread. Should we have a sense of dread at God? Now, when I, when I ask that question, probably something in you says, of course not. But the verse says it, right? The verse says it. You see, what I'm trying to show you is often what the Bible says and what we have been trained to think are not the same. And I'll say more about this in a minute. Notice what it says. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread and he shall be for a sanctuary. Now, is that a good thing or a bad thing? The Lord is our sanctuary. That is a place where we go for refuge, right? For protection. But for a stone of stumbling and for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, for a gin and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. You see this? You see this combination? You see it in the next verse, in verse 14. You see the combination. He says, the Lord is going to be a sanctuary for you, but he's going to be a trap for them at the same time. He's going to be a source of dread and terror for some, but one who, out of reverence and honor and awe, runs to him for others. You see, both, both are present simultaneously, both aspects. Should you be afraid of God? Absolutely. Absolutely. Should men in this world be afraid of God and women? Be afraid of God? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because it is truly God. It does not, the scripture say, did not Jesus himself, Jesus, the one who is described as always talking about love and nice things, he said, fear not him. Fear not them which destroy the body, but fear him which is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. <laughs> That's terror, right? That's a stark warning, and that came from the lips of the one who died on the cross. All right, let's look at Psalm 33. Psalm 33. Verse 8. This goes to what Brother David and Miss Karen said. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. So this is a different aspect. You see the word fear, but you see the word awe. Like, remember, the Grand Canyon. That's the best example of, of awe that I can think of. You know, Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. Now, Why? Well, look at, the, look at the verses around it. By the word, verse 6, The word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathereth the waters of the sea together as in heap. He layeth up the depth, depth in storehouses. Pause here for a second. I, I just, I'm going to be honest. This is my hobby horse a little bit. I am getting sick and tired of people who call themselves Christians who do not believe in the direct creation of God, who do not believe that God actually created the world personally and directly. But they basically, they, they're evolutionists, that believe that God used evolution to create the world. This verse, and they'll look at verses like this and that say, 
and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. And they said, well, that's just speaking poetically. Oh, it is poetry. We're in the Psalms. But it's not just imagery here. It's God's, like Genesis says, which is not also not poetry. He says, he spoke the word and those things were created. The breath of his mouth, he spoke breath. I, 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 look, we just need to be aware. There's a lot of people out there that really want to get in good on the scientists and they don't want, they don't want to feel the shame and reproach of being a fundamentalist creationist, young earth creationist. And so they back off and they have huge social media followings and they have millions of views on YouTube and all that. And they're followed and people listen. Apologist types are really like that. Apologist types are like that. Anyway, let me go back. You notice what's, all, what's being mentioned here. Verse 7, he, he gathereth the waters of the sea together as in heap. He layeth up the depths in storehouses. And then it says, let all the earth fear the Lord. Verse 9, for he spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. So what is the awe? Where does the awe come from? What is the basis of let all the inhabitants of the earth stand in awe of him? It's his creative ability. Look at these things. You see these things? God is so much greater than that. And there's a, there's a principle, speaking of apologetics, there's this principle of, uh, in apologetics. Whoever, in other words, whatever that is created, whatever it is, however marvelous and magnificent or scientifically complex or, 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 uh, or marvelous that created thing might be, whether it's the human body, the brain, the eyes, those are marvels of our own body. But then you can go down into, did you know that cells have, are, are, are like little factories? There's things that uh, the way it uses the, uh, the various proteins in your cells to manufacture other proteins, it's just, it's a marvelous thing. But then you leave, the, you leave your body, you go out into this universe and you see all the things that God has made. You learn about how the, the sun itself, did you know the sun itself, the sun, how enormous the sun is. The sun is a, is a huge explosion, nuclear explosion of fusion. It's just a huge ball of nuclear fire. And it just, it just burns. It's just, it's awe-inspiring. When you learn the truths of these things, science is not our enemy. Science originally started with Bible-believing people. <laughs> it did. But the, here's the point. We see that we think of how, you think of the sun, how large the sun is, and the sun is just an average star, they say, in, the, in the, you know, the scales of stars in the universe. How much greater must God be? You think of how, how much wisdom God has to create the brain. He gave us a conscience and all the, the intricacies of our bodies, you know, how much more wise does, does God have to be to create that? God, God gave us intellect. He gave us a heart. He gave us a soul. He gave us uh, emotions. God himself must have all of those things and much far greater for him to create it. In other words, whatever God is in the created universe that exists, God is that and far, far more. That's the principle. See, that's why you look at the creation, just like this verse says. We're, listen, our, both of our feet are, at this moment are firmly planted in the text of Scripture. 
We look at those things that God has made. It doesn't matter how complicated they get or how far we look or how far back, how far we look away in using a telescope or scientific methods or whatever. It always brings us back to God. And the Lord says, stand in awe of Him. That's an aspect of the fear of the Lord. Let's look at Psalm 103. Psalm 103. Psalm 103. Another aspect of the fear of the Lord. Verse 13. Like as a father pitieth his children, so doth the Lord pity them that fear him. See that? This is the aspect of filial fear. You see, the Lord puts himself as he says, I'm a father and you're the children. I as a father pity you. I have, that, 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 that's not condescending. Look, pity is not condescending in, in the Bible at least. Pity is he shows compassion. He's moved like we've studied before. He's moved at our affliction. Well, our response to that is fear. We fear the Lord as a child would fear his father. You know what? That's one of the best definitions of fear that I can think of is the, as, as far as an illustration of the fear of the Lord. When, we're, when, when uh, our kids were coming up, there were times when our kids did wrong and you could see fear on their face, that, like the bad kind of fear, because they knew they were going to get it. They knew they had done wrong and their conscience convicted them of that fact and they knew they were going to get it. But that doesn't mean that on a day-to-day basis they lived in that kind of dread where they would run from their parents. Listen, if you see that, if you see a child fleeing from their parents, something's wrong, bad, wrong. Just, this is just, a, just a, a point of wisdom. If you observe that in a child where they literally run away from their parents when under normal conditions... Something is, something is probably abuse is happening in some way, fashion, or form. Kids who have a, a healthy fear of their parents aren't, aren't dreading their parents in the sense of fleeing from them. But when those times when they do wrong, <laughs> there, there is that kind of fear because they know they have done wrong, okay? And that's where that fear is properly placed. But on a normal basis, it's awe, it's reverence, it's respect, it's honor, it's... It's always, like some, some of you have said, it's always knowing that our parents are there. It's always knowing that we're accountable to them. And it's always knowing that they're serious about, about us doing right. So they don't live like cowering in fear, but they live with a constant awareness of, of, of their parents and what their expectations are. That's the right kind of fear. That's the right kind of fear. Fear should not be, we have one more verse to look at, but fear should not be reduced down to just basically love. And that's what people do. Well, we shouldn't fear our parents. Yes, we should. Children should fear their parents. Well, children should just love their parents. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, 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 no. Your problem is if you say that, you're off balance. And and for for, for you parents in here, your children should have a healthy fear of you. And if they don't, and you think it's only love, what's missing is discipline. 
properly, biblically, lovingly applied discipline because that's what creates the healthy fear. We apply, we, we apply the rod to our children. You know, we use corporal punishment properly without anger to instruct our kids, and they knew what was happening. And you, if you have any questions, just ask Josh. Ask Anna. Ask, well, you can't ask Anna. Sorry. Ask Abby. But that doesn't mean that they didn't, that they didn't love us. That doesn't mean that they fled from us. It didn't mean that at all. And, but it was, the, it was the, the threat of punishment. It was the knowledge. It wasn't even really a threat. It was the knowledge that there would be consequences from the parent that led to a healthy fear. And so if that's not present in your home with your children, the reason is, is because you're not consistently and properly applying discipline. Because that's, is that not the way the Lord works with us? We don't constantly dread he's, he's out to get us, but we know that the Lord chastens those he loves. <laughs> and he's not afraid to do it because he has our, our, our benefit at, at heart. Finally, look at Ephesians chapter 5. Just to nip one little thing in the bud before we, we complete our little our lesson for today. As I said, people in these days, they don't like to be negative. They don't like to say negative things and describe God in unpleasant ways. It's tickling ears and that kind of thing. And so they reduce things that are unpleasant, like what I'm talking about today, to things that it's really not. So some might say, well, we're in the New Testament. We don't, we don't fear God like that because we're in the New Testament and God is love. Well, He was love back then too because He hasn't changed. And he was also uh, consuming fire back then, and he's still that way. Actually, the New Testament says that. But Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, look what it says. The New Testament does actually say the same thing. It says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Same thing. It's New Testament. It's Old Testament. Same God. Same nature, same character, and we're the same too <laughs> as they were. So uh, we'll continue this, uh, Lord willing, next week, and uh, hoping to be a blessing too. Let's pray together.